Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Peter stared at the dark, stormy waters as he lowered himself down from the boat. He was about to experience something he would never forget and be the protagonist in a story that would be recounted millions of times. He was about to walk on water. Did you know that you can't experience all the good things that God has for you until you're willing to get out of your boat? Your boat represents your old way of living, the things that you tend to trust in more than in God, the attitudes, the behaviors, the habits that you wish you could kick. But when you take courage, as Peter did, and step out of your boat and begin to walk toward Jesus, you will begin to experience all of God's rich goodness. I want you to consider an offer that God is making all of us right now. Why don't you trade your old life for the new life Jesus has for you? I am so excited for you to listen to this podcast because what we're going to talk about today will change your life. To experience God's goodness, you've got to get out of your boat and um, if you've uh, read your Bible enough, you'll remember the story of, of, of Peter, and we're going to go through that, that story of him getting out of the boat and walking to Jesus. So remembering last Sunday that we were talking about this, um, to, to, to really experience God's goodness, first of all, you've got to let him get into your boat, then you've got to go out into deeper water. Then you've got to obey. You've got to let down your nets, do whatever God tells you to do, and you're going to experience God, God's goodness in a way that you've never, never seen before. And then whenever you begin to see how good God is in contrast of how lacking we all are, that, that makes God's goodness shine even more. And then the last thing that we learned last Sunday is that Whenever you get out of your boat, as, as uh, Peter, James, and John did, um, they left their boat behind them. That was their lives. They left their nets behind them. They left that which they were confident in. And they left also behind them uh, their, their family, so to speak. They left their old identities behind them. And so there's this progressive goodness of God that we find as we get closer and closer to Jesus. But we're going to like take a little bit different angle at this today. And we're going to be reading from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 23. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 23. Again, Matthew 14. So here goes. Follow along. All right. And again, you can pull up these notes on lifeworthlivingchurch.org. And you can follow along that way as well if you'd like. All right, so here it goes. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So there's, there's the disciples in the middle of the night. They were, they were used to getting on the boat in the middle of the night, so this was nothing new to them. But they went on out while Jesus went up to a mountain, up a mountain to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. I remember once 
I was doing something. I can't remember what it was. I think actually I was raking leaves. That's what it was. I was trying to rake leaves in the backyard. And for whatever reason, I chose a windy day to rake the leaves. And I was getting more and more frustrated as I was raking the leaves and thinking, this is so obnoxious. Why can't the wind stop so I can just rake these leaves? <laughs> and uh, and it, the thought came to me, you will always have opposition in your life. You will always have opposition in your life, no matter what you do. So don't, you know, we're, we're, we're never going to have a perfect life until we get to heaven and are with Jesus. That's the only time we'll have a perfect life. So we shouldn't be looking for a perfect life now because it's just simply not going to happen. We're always going to be opposed in our lives. But this boat that the disciples were in, uh, it represents our flesh. And, and whenever I talk about our flesh, I'm talking about our natural selves without God. The boat represents our flesh, our natural selves without God. And you know what? Our flesh can only get us so far in life. Our natural selves without God can only get us so far in life. It'll get us part of the way, but in our flesh, in our natural selves without God, we will always fall short. Always fall short of our goals, always fall short of our aspirations, of our plans, of our hopes, of our dreams. We will never get all the way in our natural selves, in our boat, so to speak. Our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own schemes and plans, our own design, it's only going to get us so far in life. So as Christians, our flesh is going to be buffeted by storms and waves and you know what? It's going to stop us at some point. At some point, we're going to get the farthest we can go, and we will be stopped. And the question is, why would Jesus allow our flesh, allow our boat, our natural selves, to be buffeted by these storms and waves? Well, let me tell you, it's to show us how useless and ineffective our flesh is without God. That's why we have hard times is God shows us look Steve you can't do it by yourself your flesh your natural self is useless and ineffective without me that's what God's telling us that's what he's telling me look at this verse in John 6 63 chapter 6 verse 63 the apostle John says this under inspiration from from the Holy Spirit the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing. Our flesh, our natural selves, counts for nothing. It's a pretty strong statement. Let's keep reading on here where we were in um, Matthew 14. Now we're in verse 25. Shortly after dawn, so remember the disciples are out there in the, in the, um, on the lake. They're being buffeted by the storm. Shortly before dawn, so it's still dark, pitch dark, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Well, let me tell you what. When your flesh brushes up against God's supernatural, we all have all kinds of interesting reactions. Sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we're confused. Sometimes we just plain old ignore what God is trying to show us in the supernatural. We turn a blind eye to it. In this case, though, when the disciples' boat 
their natural selves brushed up against God's supernatural, they cried out in fear. I probably would have as well. There in the pitch dark, you see this glowing figure walking on the water, passing you by. That would freak anybody out. But in verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, obviously he was close enough for them to hear him, so he must have been really close to the boat. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Let me tell you what, these two words, take courage, have been ringing in my ear all week long as I did my own devotions, as I lived my life this week. The Lord kept telling me, take courage. (laughs) And I got to thinking about, what what, what do you mean, take courage? And it, it started hitting me. It's like you would say, take your vitamins or take your pills. Take courage. <laughs> it's there for you to take it. Take it. Take it's like drink some water. Get some rest. Take courage. And so I started looking up the word courage. And I want to give you, I think I've mentioned this in church before, but I'll mention it again. There is this Webster's Dictionary that's, um, if you Google it, I think it's 1828 Webster's Dictionary. If you get a chance, look it up. And, uh, can't remember what Webster's first name was, but he uh, he put together the Webster's Dictionary. I think it was Daniel Webster. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it was Daniel's we- Daniel Webster. But if you use the Webster's Dictionary, eighteen twenty eight, your word studies will be so so rich. So much of this I'm getting from Webster's eighteen twenty eight. There, you can just pull it up. It's even an app on your phone that you can use. But courage in the Latin literally means heart to be courageous is to have a strong heart it means bravery it means that quality of mind that enables people to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness i'm going to read that again that quality of mind that enables people to encounter danger and difficulty with firmness and and i go back to that that phrase quality of mind that means you don't just have courage, you are courageous. It becomes a part of your personality. That, that you face things without fear or without depressed spirits. You're bold. You're resolute. Now, if you're taking notes, write this one down. Courage, which arises from a sense of duty. Oh, man, that's awesome. I picture a single mother raising one, two, or maybe three children, and out of a sense of duty, she stands up and works her one or two jobs. She's courageous because of her sense of duty to her family. Now, let me tell you what, if a single mother can be that way, shouldn't the father of a family even more so be courageous out of a sense of duty to his family? I think of military folks. This applies most to them or law enforcement. Out of a sense of duty, they're courageous. There's two um, two Marines back in the uh, back in the just recent times when the U.S. forces were in Iraq. This was several years ago, but two Marines who saw a um, a vehicle coming full tilt towards the. Um, the gate of their forward operating base and the the vehicle was obviously intent on coming through the gate and um and probably blowing up 
And there was somebody that was witnessing these two Marines. And it kills me. These two Marines uh, bent in or leaned forward as that vehicle blew through that, that gate, firing as fast as they could. And they lost their lives. Out of a sense of duty, we're courageous. Our military forces are courageous because they have a sense of duty. And we as Christians, we should run towards the battle, not away from the battle. Being courageous, being fearless out of a sense of spiritual duty. Man, that's powerful. Take courage. Take it. God's offering it to you. Let me read you a couple of other really neat thoughts about courage. The infusing of God's strength in you through the inworking of faith. The infusing of God's strength in you through the inworking of faith. The inner confidence that his spirit produced. Wow. Powerful things. Take courage. Listen to some of these scriptures where that same phrase is used in Matthew 9 verse 2. Take courage, Jesus says, your sins have been forgiven. Matthew 9, 22, take courage, your faith has healed you. John 16, 33, take courage, I have overcome the world. Acts 23, 11, take courage, as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, you will testify me of me in Rome. Let me tell you what, God's waiting for you to take courage in the small things so that you can take courage in larger things. Listen to this. If you will take courage, you will have courage. And I say this firsthand from this week's experiences, my own personal experiences. Towards the beginning of the week, I had to take courage. And at the end of the week, I had courage. Firsthand. You won't have courage unless you take courage. Praise God. That's why Hebrews 4.16, it says, So whenever we are in need, we should come bravely or courageously before the throne of our merciful God. There we will be treated with undeserved kindness and we will find help. That's a wonderful version. That's a contemporary English version wonderful version of that verse in Hebrews 4 verse 16. Well, if you look at these disciples, they're sitting in their boat and only one of them takes courage. (laughs) Peter, he says, Lord, if it's you in verse 28, we're back in Matthew 14 now. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. (laughs) He took courage. If it's you, Jesus, I'll be courageous. If it's you, I'll get out of my boat, out of my flesh, out of my natural self. If it's really you, Jesus, I'll take courage to abandon myself for you, Jesus. Courage is what's needed to walk away from your selfish self and out of your old ways of doing things. So Jesus says in verse 29, he says, come. Then Peter got out he got down out of the boat that's a pretty interesting thought i mean i've always visualized that boat is pretty small but it was high up uh, enough that he had to step down out of the boat 
out of his safety zone, out of his comfort zone, out of what he knew through and through. He was a he was a hardened fisherman. He'd been through many storms in that boat and the last thought he'd ever had was getting out of that boat during a storm and here he got down out of the boat walked on water and came toward Je- towards Jesus now listen to this if you're jotting down notes I'm going to read this a couple of times the only way to walk towards Jesus is to walk away from your selfish self some of us have been asking Jesus how can I follow you I try, but I always fail. Well, you know what? You have to walk away from your selfish self to be able to walk towards Jesus. You have to abandon yourself. I'm going to give you many scriptures that supports this concept. But one of them here is in Matthew 7, verse 14. Matthew 7, verse 14. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Why is the gate small? Why is the road narrow? Why is it that only a few find them? It's because you have to leave yourself, check your ego at the door. You can't fit through Jesus's gate if you're coming with your selfish self. You have to unpack yourself, leave your ego, check your ego at the gate, and you will fit through this narrow, narrow gate and walk in the narrow road. And let me tell you, you will be so happy when you do this. You will be so free when you do this. The only way to leave your flesh, your selfish self behind, is to start looking at Jesus. That's the only way. So how are you going to move towards him? Stop looking behind at yourself and start looking towards Jesus. We read this scripture last Sunday. 2 Corinthians 3.16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away, and finally, you uh, he will make you want to leave yourself behind. When you see Jesus, you will want to leave your boat behind you and start walking towards him and start walking with him. That's why in Psalms 34.8, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. When you see Jesus, you will want to leave your natural selfish self behind you. Continuing on in Matthew 14, now in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, this is Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Well, you know what? Whenever you start walking out of your boat, you take that courageous step out of your boat. You start walking on water. All these things are going to start shouting in your ear, trying to get your attention. Problems, distractions, temptations. But can I tell you something? Don't run back to your boat. Don't run back to the safety of your flesh. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to quote my daughter who spoke on Wednesday night to the youth, and she said something very powerful. In fact, I'm going to say several things. I'm going to quote her several times here. But listen to this one. Stubbornly refuse to go back to the bondage of the past. Don't run back to your boat. I did this all week long. I kept telling myself, I am not running back to my boat. I'm going, I've stepped out of it. I'm not going back. Stubbornly refuse to go back to the safety of your boat to the bondage of your past 
If you want the same results, then keep doing what you've always done. But if you want a new life with better, higher results, keep looking at Jesus no matter what wave is coming at you. Isn't that something? Don't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's the, that's the definition of insanity. I believe it was Einstein that, that uh, <laughs> enlightened us on that one. But by the way, do you know why Peter was able to walk on that water? I found this scripture that just blew me away. It's in Psalms 89, 25. It says, I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. Now, while this scripture was speaking of David, it was prophetically speaking of Jesus. God has set Jesus's hand over the seas. So if you're in Jesus's hand, you can walk on water. If you're in Jesus's right hand, you will walk over the river. In Isaiah, oh, is it 41 or 42? I can't remember. Sister Maggie's favorite scripture, by the way, it says, you will walk through the fire and you will not be burned. You will walk through the, the waters and they will not overwhelm you. Praise God. That's why Peter was able to walk on that water. He could see God's hand that he was walking on in reality. Here's another cool scripture about God's hand, though. In John 10, 28, it says, I will give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That's for somebody today. Let me tell you what. When you're in God's hand, no one, no thing can snatch you out of God's hand. Now let's keep reading. In, uh, in, in Matthew 14, verse 31, speaking of God's hand, immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and catches Peter. <laughs> Man, there's something there to consider, the hand of God. I was praying this week and just worshiping the Lord in all kinds of freedom and praising God and telling God, I'm worshiping you from the palm of your hand. I'm worshiping you on your wings. I'm worshiping you from the safety of the peaks of your mountains. I'm worshiping you from the palm of your hand. What an amazing thing. What a wonderful time of worship I had. You can worship Jesus that way as well. Become aware of God's sovereign hand encasing you, encompassing you, covering you, holding you. But Jesus says, he reaches out his hand, catches Peter and says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I think many times we read that scripture as if Jesus was condemning, his voice was condemning Peter. No, he saw Peter sinking, sopping wet, picked him up like you would a little puppy, shook him a little bit to get him dry, put him in the boat and says, why did you doubt, Peter? I was right here. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Man, Jesus is so kind. He's so good. He's so loving. He's so forgiving. He's so full of grace. But listen to this. This is something that carried me through this week as well. Courage will get you out of the boat, but restful faith in God will keep you walking on water. Oh, man, you don't have to live a life of intense courage you, can, you should only live a life of restful faith in God. There's times. There's times when you have to, to take courage and take a step. Instead of calling it a step of faith, let's call it a step of courage. Take a step of courage. But once you feel that you're not sinking, you can rest in faith. Just trust in the Lord 
and keep on walking in that wa- over that water, over your problems, on top of your problems. It took courage for Joshua to take the first step to attack Jericho, but by faith, God kept him in the promised land. My point is this, is when you take that first step of courage, your momentum and your confidence will grow to take that first step of courage, you will rest in your faith. Praise God. So how can you stay, have this strong faith by having less faith in yourself? How can you have strong faith? Have less faith in yourself. Leave your boat behind. Start walking with Jesus, experiencing all his goodness, walking in the spirit. It should be your lifestyle, not something that you just do every so often. It's something you do day in and day out. Well, in verse 32 here of Matthew 14, and then they climbed into the boat. This is Jesus and Peter. (laughs) Can you imagine? You know what this tells me? Look at this. Look at this. I didn't even realize it until just now. Jesus rescues Peter, gets him back up on his feet on the water, and they both climb back into the boat together. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Never stopped to think about that. The wind died down. Then those who were on the boat worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let me tell you what. Get out of your boat. Leave your selfish self behind. And let's let's look at this about let's talk a little just a little bit more about leaving yourself or self behind. Matthew 16 verses 25 through 26. Matthew 16:25 through 26 says Jesus says, "For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me gets out of their boat, they're going to find it. Where are they going to find it?" on the water walking with Jesus that's where they're going to find their life what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone gain in exchange for their soul I'll never forget listening to Franklin Graham here in El Paso um, several years ago he was doing a crusade and he went through this verse and he said what if you have a billion dollars but you forfeit your soul and you don't make it to heaven what if you have all the fame in the world but you forfeit your soul and you don't make it to heaven what if you have all the power in the world yet you forfeit what's most important your soul and you don't make it to heaven that made such an impression on me and it made me want a lot less than this world has to offer I want everything that God has to offer so why not? Why shouldn't I walk away from my plans and embrace God's plans? Why wouldn't I walk away from my own approaches to dealing with my own problems and let God solve my problems? Why, why shouldn't I try to stop making things happen and let God's sovereignty take charge in my life? So let's repent of clinging and clutching to our boat to our old, ineffective way of living. In Matthew 16, 24, just the verse before the the couple of verses that I just read just now, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, deny their their old boat, their old way of doing things, take up their cross and follow me. Now I've read the scripture many many times thought about it and always felt that it was extremely harsh 
But when you start looking at its true meaning, the glory of its meaning, you see that it's not harsh it's, it, at all. It's our means to freedom. It's our pathway to freedom. So what part of, uh, of you does Jesus want you to deny? It's the part that you don't like anyways. It's the out-of-control self. It's the addictive self, the gluttonous self, the drunken self, the greedy self, the lustful, unfaithful self, the ambitious, cruel self, the depressed self, the lazy self, the incessantly sick self, the disabled self, the critical, judgmental self, the bipolar self, the insane self, the insecure, fearful, worried self, the unforgiving, punishing self. That's the boat you want to get out of. That's the self you want to deny. So what's this thing about taking up your cross, though? It says deny yourself, take up your cross. Can I tell you what taking up your cross is? It's simply repentance. I want to take up my cross. In other words, I want to repent of that old self so that I can come into the new self created like Jesus, created to be in Jesus, protected by Jesus, blessed by Jesus, overwhelmed by Jesus's goodness. The single most powerful thing you can do in your whole lifetime is to repent. Nothing will break things in your life quicker and more permanently than repenting. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of repentance is asking for forgiveness, but asking for forgiveness is not the entirety of repentance. Repentance is saying, Jesus, I hate this. I turn my back on this and I turn towards you. Let me tell you what. It's not so powerful that you turn your back on it. It's that you've turned towards Jesus. That's what makes repentance so powerful. It's not that you've turned your back on sin. It's that you've turned your face towards Jesus. That's what breaks things. Now look at this. We've been talking about you won't experience all of God's goodness until you get out of your boat. Look at Romans 2.4. I'm going to take a single phrase out of Romans 2.4 in the New King James Version. It says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Why do you want to repent? Why do you want to take up your cross? Because God is so good. He has so much more to offer than your boat life. <laughs> he has so much offer to offer. Now, I'm going to quote a couple of statements that my daughter Sarah made this last Wednesday night in youth. Here's one of them. Repentance is not only turning from your sin to Jesus, it is turning away from your problem to Jesus. Now, this one hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. <laughs> it's ungodly and displeasing for you to turn your attention every day, all day, away from Jesus to your problem. God is very displeased when all we do is focus on our problem, think about our problem, worry about our problem. God doesn't want you to do that. Repent of doing that. Repent of turning your attention towards your problem so much. And also stop turning your attention towards your failures all, the, all of the time. God doesn't like that. It's displeasing to him, and it just brings you down. This is a negative way of thinking, a negative way of living. The way my daughter said, put it is she said, stop making the waves of your life bigger than Jesus. Wow. Stop making. That's what Peter did. He saw the wind. He saw the waves. 
and he made those waves bigger than Jesus. We shouldn't do that. We serve the creator of the world, the sustainer of the world, the healer of the world. Why should we be focusing on those waves, the dangers, the difficulties? Repent of always staring at your problems. Now let me finish with this incredible scripture that puts it all together. Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I, the selfish self, have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you teach us how to walk towards new life in you. What do we have to do? Well, as we peek over our shoulder, that boat should be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Less and less likelihood that we would ever return to our old way of life. Lord, but only one sneak peek behind us because we immediately turn and look straight ahead towards your glory as we walk closer and closer to you. Jesus, as we focus with our eyes, not turning to the left, not turning to the right, as you told Joshua, but simply looking straight ahead of us towards you, we don't even know there's waves. We don't even know there's wind. Why? Because as we look down straight at our feet, we see the palm of God most high, the palm of his hand. Lord, we're standing squarely in the palm of your hand. Lord, looking forward, sometimes gazing down at the firmness and the security of the rock, Christ Jesus, that we stand on. Lord, as we look back also, just quickly, Lord, we see our lives, Lord, the, the weak, addictive lives that we used to live, it's gone. Lord, it's, it's a wisp of a memory. Lord God, as we look at the glory ahead of us, thank you, Jesus. Never looking to the right, never looking to the left. Just...